Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast, where we bring an independent eye in interviewing the targets of SPAC transactions and their SPAC partners. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with real estate investment marketplace Appreciate, which announced a $416 million deal with PropTech Investment Corp. 2 in May. CEO Chris Lawrence and President Kevin Ortner explain how they built a unique end-to-end platform for real estate investors looking to buy properties to rent out far afield from their local market, be they institutions or moms and pops. They also give us the lowdown on what the single-family housing market looks like from inside the machine and how capital can best be put to use in the current climate. PropTech2's co-CEO and CFO Joe Beck also joins to walk through how the SPAC's prolific team has shifted criteria to match the times and what metrics seemed the most meaningful when evaluating a target in this market. Take a listen. So anyone who's watched any HGTV probably has had some thoughts about buying and flipping houses, but it's a lot harder than those shows make it look. And so just assuming that the buyer isn't using a digital marketplace like Renner's Warehouse, what are some of the difficulties and risks that they're, they're going to run into there, Chris and Kevin? The big advantage of using a digital marketplace and a management platform like Renter's Warehouse and Appreciate is the fact that you can buy in outside of your market. You can buy in other markets where maybe great example is people who live in LA or San Francisco or somewhere along the coast. Oftentimes it's challenging to find rental properties that really work from a cash flow or a yield perspective. But if you want to invest in real estate, you can head to other markets in the Midwest where maybe it makes more sense. And that in the past has been very challenging because you're not there to touch it, feel, see that property. And using platforms like Renters Warehouse allows you to be able to understand what that property is going to generate from a yield perspective. You'll be able to see photographs, videos, talk to someone live on the ground in that market about the property, and then ultimately have someone take care of that property for you with the transparency that our platform brings to that from understanding what's happening is your resident paying rent. What are the repairs and maintenance needs in that home? Everything, you'd be able to see that from wherever you live across the country. And so it really opens up access to real estate investing much easier than maybe traditionally in the past where you couldn't invest as easily outside of your market. Yeah, that makes sense. And Joe, you know, just when you were looking at the prop deck space, I'm interested in just sort of what some of your criteria was as you were searching for a target, because there's so many different ways that this, this space is being digitized now. There's so many different sort of slices of it. So, I mean, were you looking for a company that maybe holds inventory or one that was asset light versus, you know, one that makes a little bit more on the transactions versus a more perpetual SaaS approach to the prop tech space? There's just so many different ways. What were some of the things you were interested in there? Yeah, great question. Well, the short answer is we're agnostic across all of PropTech. So we look at software, we look at hardware, we look at asset intensive, asset light across all different sectors. In fact, before meeting Chris and Kevin, my partner, Tom Hennessy and I, we've reviewed plus or minus 100 opportunities across real estate technology broadly. But when we met Chris and Kevin, I'd say they immediately rose to the top of our list. We were looking for an accomplished management team that had SFR experience or industry-specific experience, proven revenue model, delivering meaningful financial results to investors, highly scalable unit economics, compelling fundamentals. One of the things we really liked about Appreciate is the EBITDA profile, particularly in this market environment where cash is king. These guys have been EBITDA break-even for the last two years, and they're going to generate, we think, a, a meaningful amount of EBITDA next year. So those were all attributes that, that we liked. I'd say on the other end of the spectrum, when you talk about asset intensive, capital intensive businesses, 
in this market that really require a lot of cash in a DSPAC transaction, that's something that we weren't looking for. Um, you know, maybe a year, two years ago, that, that would have worked. But these days, businesses that don't need a lot of capital to fund growth rose to the top of our list and our criteria. And for Chris and Kevin, how has Appreciate's platform evolved since its founding back in 2007? Both the housing market and consumer behaviors have changed quite a bit since then. Started the business in 2007, and then we were really just a property management company, right? So we helped investors lease homes and manage their homes. And we've since evolved in a big way in the fact that we now have an end-to-end platform. And what we mean by that is we help investors of all sizes with any aspect of the single-family rental life cycle from identifying new markets, acquiring the home through our marketplace technology. We can assist in renovation of those properties and ultimately the property management of the home as well. So being able to bring all of those components together in one place has really changed our ability to serve the real estate investor. And really, we have two types of clients. We have what we uh, refer to our institutional investors. So those large uh, funds, maybe Wall Street funds or other large private equity funds that are buying and investing in single family rental properties across the country in multiple markets. We help clients like that across our suite of services. So acquisitions, renovation and property management. And we also help what we refer to as retail investors, which are smaller mom and pop landlords who maybe own one or two homes, or maybe they've built a small portfolio of homes. Uh, But having the same access to technology and data that the larger institutional funds have is really our goal to democratize real estate investment and make the same tools and technology available to those smaller investors. Got it. And at what point did you realize that there is a big opportunity in serving institutional buyers and what advantages do they bring as customers? Both in terms of property management versus marketplace and institutional versus retail, we think we we started with the hard part. So we started with property management, which requires a local presence in all the markets in which we operate. And, you know, it's a tough business to get right. If it were easy, people wouldn't need a professional property manager. Likewise, with retail versus institutional, you know, I would argue you can probably find a way to make money if you have a client that brings you, you know, 2,000 properties to manage. Making money with 2,000 different clients, each with one property, is, is a tougher task. So the fact that we started with the hard part and then grew into institutional and grew into a marketplace, I think you know, put us in a better position to expand and keep our customers happy while we expanded than others who might have started with a, you know, technology-based marketplace, but then ran into issues trying to execute on the ground and, and you know, keep those customers who expected a, you know, smooth internet experience. Then it, then it ran into the reality of uh, plumbing issues and electrical issues like we've dealt with for a long time. I think we realized probably starting in 2015, 2016, that institutional investors who had come in after the Great Recession were here to stay. They had realized this wasn't just a trade, this was a business that they had built and companies the likes of Invitation Homes and American Homes for Rent and, and others like them you know, had built up significant businesses and they had to build their own infrastructure because they didn't have a choice. Like we didn't have scale at the time. There was no one that could provide a national footprint professional experience like like we do today. But institutions that are coming into the market today, we're finding would, would prefer to use someone like us as opposed to building all that internally. They'd rather focus on their core competencies, which is, you know, raising capital and maintaining relationships with investors as opposed to managing a air conditioning unit that goes out in the middle of the night. 
Yeah, totally. And we are now starting to see a few signs that the housing market is cooling, but you guys have your fingertips on a lot more data. So, you know, what are you seeing in terms of that and how does that affect what, what you guys do? We certainly are seeing the market cooling. The SFR is not the same as residential real estate. So when you see residential brokerage is laying off agents, the trends in our business are quite different and they affect different parts of our business differently. So if people decide not to sell homes, that might affect our commissions in selling homes. But on the other hand, those people are landlords too. And when they decide not to sell homes, it means they stay customers in our system and our selling churn goes down and our customer lifetime value goes up. So we're, we're pretty hedged by having a marketplace and management. We're pretty hedged by having retail and institutional. One of the big trends that we've seen this year with mortgage rates almost doubling is that competition from owner occupants has decreased significantly. So when we're making bids on homes that would become SFR homes, or maybe there already are SFR homes, you know, unlike apartments, which are always rentals, you know, home can be a rental or it can be lived in. And, you know, earlier this year, the most of the competition we had was from people living in those homes with 30 year fixed mortgage rates significantly increased. Those buyers now can't necessarily afford the same property. So we're seeing competition for our institutional buyers go down. And they're, they're winning a higher percentage of the offers that they're putting in. So there's some effects in both directions, but you know, by and large, we would rather have more inventory and more transactions, even if you know, the price is, uh, is not climbing at, at 10 or 20% per year. Yeah. And you were touching upon it there, but just to get into the, that revenue mix a bit, you're, you're currently generating most of your revenue through the properties you manage, but you expect the marketplace to take an increasing share of that mix moving forward. So can you get into how that's going to come about? Is that more due to your efforts to get more big buyers on the platform or, or have you changed your, your product and fee structures and stuff like that at all? Well, the, the marketplace is about 40% of our business this year, it's expected to be 50% next year. The growth in our business differs whether you're talking about the institutional side of our business or the retail side of our business. On the institutional side, it's largely new customers and growth with our existing institutional customers. There's a tremendous amount of dry powder with, with funds that have raised money to acquire SFR properties. And we're a great solution for those firms that have raised money. So the momentum on the institutional side of the business is going to grow our marketplace. And then over 95% of the properties that we buy for these institutions turned into managed properties. So it also grows our, our management business. On the retail side of our business, the story is a little bit different. We've been cash constrained and retail is driven by marketing to an extraordinary degree. Over the last five years, We've looked at the, you know, the R-squared correlation between our marketing spend and our properties added, and it's 95%. So getting back to marketing aggressively to retail investors who either want to buy a home, you know, want to buy an SFR investment property, or maybe they already own an investment property, and we want to make them aware that you know, we're a great management solution for them. The retail growth is driven by getting back to you know, increasing that awareness through consumer marketing. And I'll just add to that. That was one of the stats that really stood out to us the most from the get-go. 13.5 LTV to CAC. So that's the lifetime value of a customer that Appreciate acquires over the cost of acquiring that customer. Appreciate really hasn't had a meaningful amount of primary growth capital injected into the business over the last few years. So we saw this as a unique opportunity today to really back the business with meaningful capital from a DSPAC transaction and really invest behind those metrics that uh, Chris just uh, referred to. 
And then just going off of that, although you're growing your client base among the institutions, retail buyers have still made up most of your business recently. So what are you seeing in terms of the macro changes around who is buying these days and who's still renting? Yeah, great question. A big percentage of our business remains the retail investors. While that institutional share Chris was talking about earlier certainly is growing, that retail investor is very, very important. They're continuing to buy as well, although the mortgage rate environment is changing and creating maybe new challenges or people having to look at different markets to go and buy these homes. There's still a lot of retail investor activity. And really, if you think about it, the reason for that is the fact that it's been really suppressed, frankly, the last couple of years as these retail investors trying to buy single-family rentals have been competing with owner-occupied buyers that have been bidding up homes and, frankly, paying more that it would make sense to have that property as a rental property. So as we see that competition for homes come down, it gives the investors an opportunity to come in and, and maybe get, get a property at the price that makes sense for them to cash flow or create the right kind of yield. So they're still out there buying, but really it's interesting to also see the demand shift between as all of those people who are now maybe priced out of the market that we've been hearing about in the news, right? If you look at home price appreciation for the last 18 to 24 months, and now the fact that mortgage rates have nearly doubled since the beginning of the year, effectively a cost to own a home on a monthly mortgage payment is, is up 50%. And that has priced out a significant number of people be able to do that who still want to live in that same type of house, whether it's the same neighborhood or school district or having that backyard for the family. So they want to live in a single family home. They're turning to renting, which continues to increase the rental demand that we're seeing across the country and is really fueling and continuing to fuel the really large rental rate increases we're seeing. So there's been some question over the past couple of months, is this really aggressive rent growth going to start to slow as the real estate market slows down. And we haven't seen evidence of that yet. In fact, John Burns Real Estate Consulting, great data. They put out their um, June rent growth numbers, and they were still as strong as they had been for most of the first half of the year. So renting is becoming an option or really the option for a lot of folks who wanted to move into a single family rental or a single family home. They wanted to purchase one. They're now turning to renting those properties, which is fueling demand, fueling rent growth. And that rent growth, frankly, is helping offset the cost of owning a property with the interest rates going up for these investors as well, really making the numbers work. And so we, we continue to see a lot of interest in buying on the retail side. One thing that interest rates aren't changing is demographics. So growth rate in the millennial demographic, you know, key home buying demographic, whether they can buy a home or whether they want a single family home for a growing family, the, the population growth rates in that in that demo are significantly higher than the overall population. And, you know, none of these macroeconomic factors are changing that. Got it. And then I think it's pretty safe to say that there's a fair amount of competition in the property management space. So what's your biggest differentiator from the other listed players there? Yeah, there's a large number of small local property managers. There's a smaller group, maybe a handful or a couple handfuls of larger national or, or multi-regional players. I think what we think our clients like most about us is that we are an end-to-end -end solution. So if, if a client is looking to invest in SFR, they can buy a property through us. We can manage the renovation of that property to get it ready for rent. We can locate a resident for the property, and then we can manage the property. You know, historically, the two halves of the marketplace and management have been separate. 
the marketplace, you know, typically people have been going to traditional real estate brokers like a, you know, think Coal Banker or Remax who aren't expert at real estate and SFR investing. And then on the property management side, you know, the largest, the most common, you know, competitor out there is a, is a small local property management company who typically hasn't kept up with technology. By having those two parts of the business separate, sometimes you get a disconnect in between where your realtor, your, your agent says, you know, this property can get $1,800 a month in rent. Great. You buy the property, you, you know, you do your pro formas. You then turn to get find a tenant at eighteen hundred dollars a month, and the placement agent says to you, "Who who told you that? You know, it's, this is sixteen hundred dollars a month in rent, and and you're never going to catch up to that in in your return." So the fact that you know we have to sleep in the bed we've made with our clients, if we say it's eighteen hundred dollars, first of all, we have a really good view on eighteen hundred dollars because we're in the market actively renting properties, but we know that we then have to get eighteen hundred dollars for that property. So when we're underwriting rents. You know, last year, our average was 103% of underwritten rent. You know, 100% would be perfect. If you were going to be off, you want to be off a little bit on the high side, which is where we were. And that makes our clients happy that they found an end-to-end solution because they don't have that, that breakdown in the middle that, that impacts their economics. Yeah, definitely. And so moving over to the SPAC side of things, Chris and Kevin, just how did you come around to the decision to opt for a SPAC deal? I appreciate it had gone the private equity route before. And so, you know, why go public rather than uh, seek out some more private funding and, and why SPAC versus IPO? Well, we saw a huge opportunity in the SFR space. There's a huge TAM. There's a huge opportunity. There's huge tailwinds for the industry. And I think being public will get us access to capital but also visibility. You know, a lot of the time, even with institutions, like getting found by institutions and making them aware that we have this offering is key. And we've already seen the publicity that comes from an announced back transaction leading to a lot of, you know, unsolicited inbound inquiries from, from both institutional and retail clients. We looked at a traditional way IPO. We looked at business combinations with SPAC. We concluded that the SPAC route was preferable, partly knowing that the IPO market can open and close. And I think, you know, right now we feel really good with the decision to partner up with PropTech because, you know, right now, if we were pursuing a traditional way IPO, I think we probably wouldn't be still pursuing that right now in, in the current market conditions. And so what aspect of being a public company do you think will bring the greatest benefit to appreciate? Well, I think what Chris mentioned earlier is the branding of it. And partly for the retail investors, you know, if you're investing with Appreciate, you want to know that you're investing with a reputable, stable business. And so I think there's going to be a lot of momentum coming out of that. And also on the institutional side, that's what Chris was just referring to. Having, you know, your name out there gives you uh, huge benefits from a branding perspective to procure large institutional owners of SFR properties as customers. And we're already seeing some of that. So I think it's a lot of that. And then it's also capital. So, you know, this business I mentioned earlier doesn't need a lot of capital, but there's a high ROI on the capital that we do bring to bear. So coming out of this DSPAC transaction, I believe we only require about $18 million of primary growth capital to fund the business through next year. And we're confident we're going to be able to bring that through our DSPAC. So that's going to be another benefit going forward into 2023. So it seems like Appreciate is currently present in about half of the United States, but not entirely. So what are the areas of the country that seem like the most appealing expansion markets? And would M&A be an option for expanding? We are currently in 40 markets across the United States, with 25 of those being corporate-owned or company-owned locations. 
and the remainder being franchise. We historically had been selling some franchises of our business. And about 15 franchises across the country remain today. We plan for this business to be in every market where it should be, every major market inside the next several years. Today, how we really grow and expand the business is alongside of our institutional partners. And what I mean by that is when we have an institutional client, whether they're a current client or a prospective client, and they're interested in moving into a new market, we'll move alongside with them. And this really gives us the benefit to be able to be nearly cash flow positive day one in that market because we'll be taking on a portfolio of homes perhaps with a, with a client that they had just purchased or they may be signing up with us to be doing what we call programmatic acquisitions in that market where we're doing high volume buying and acquisitions of single family rentals for them in a market so historically for our business uh, it was a little bit of a more challenging decision on when and where to open because with just retail business and with just our property management revenue streams it could take anywhere between 18 to 24 months to break even in a new market because it was marketing driven growth where we were spending those marketing dollars and building a team. Whereas now we'll build a foundation in a new market with an institutional client and then expand into that retail as well. So we could get into these new markets, certainly via Greenfield, but you mentioned M&A and that's a great opportunity for us. That there's something like 80,000 smaller mom and pop property management companies across the country. And those are great targets for us. So not only are they great targets for M&A, but we have the ability to really increase the revenue running through those locations as most of those mom and pop property management firms are just retail and just property management. They lack marketplace technology and they're not serving institutional clients, which we could bring to those acquisitions as well. Great. And as you mentioned, you know, M&A gets easier once you're a public company. And do you have a particular preference in terms of how you would approach the mix of cash or stock when you would get into these deals? I imagine for rolling up property managers, for instance, I mean, the, the having access to public shares as a part of a deal is probably very attractive to them. But just in general, sort of what do you have a, a preferential approach when you're thinking about those opportunities? I think it would depend on, you know, partly on the role that we were looking for the management of the acquired company to play going forward. I mean, and you know, also what their what their interest was. I think there's a lot of people in the industry who are believers in the industry who don't necessarily want to cash out. Give them the opportunity to maintain some upside opportunity through ownership in in a public stock like like appreciate. I think they'd be interested in that and could potentially incentivize them to remain with the business and continue to grow the business if that were part of our plan for the acquired company. Great. And you're also getting close to the finish line for this deal. And I wanted to ask for just a bit of an update in terms of your timeline, but also point out that just given that this deal was announced in May, you guys have gotten here at remarkable speed. So I also want to ask, what's your secret there? <laughs> well, I should say our sponsor, our kind of ultimate sponsor is Hennessy Capital. And so those that know SPACs probably know Hennessy. We've been collectively, I think we've done 10 SPACs dating back 10 years now. So we have this down to a science. We're a Kind of a well-oiled machine in terms of getting things executed so yeah we um we announced the transaction in may we're deep into the sec review process currently and based on our latest communications with the sec we think a closing in early q4 is pretty likely and so yeah we're excited to be a public company i think we're, we're going to really enjoy going to uh new york to ring the bell hopefully soon Awesome. And then on the technological side, we see lots of prop tech companies doing interesting things in terms of digitizing the home buying process. So what is the technology that you guys are most excited about? We've developed a proprietary platform uh, integrated with, with Salesforce that, that drives our business 
across the marketplace and the management segments we play in. I think what, what we are excited about is the scalability of that platform. So I think one of the things that's kept management companies local in the past is the challenge of expanding beyond what someone could manage on a desktop. The fact that anyone in our company has access to the same information on anything, anything about the relationship with that client. And then the landlord has 24-7 visibility through apps and portals. The tenant has 24-7 visibility through apps and portals for anything from you know, logging and scheduling repair and maintenance requests to, you know, billing and collecting rent. We're excited to build on that platform with the scalability that it gives us now. We also want to, as you mentioned, digitize the home buying process. I mean, I think that's a, you know, a longer term play. There's a lot of people that think that's a big opportunity, as do we. But there are also pretty fractured state and local market regulations that, that can make that challenging. And I think anyone thinks that who thinks that's going to happen overnight is probably going to be disappointed. <laughs> Not everything's an easy fix when it comes to technology, or especially around the home buying, uh, as we've seen with uh, you know a lot of companies that are trying to do it, and, and a lot of them have just one piece of it, but can't get the rest. But either way, Appreciate is just a really interesting uh, approach to the market and a solution to the market that we're really excited to see get there. We're excited to see the bell ring as well. Forward to seeing you guys up there, and also uh, we're interested to see just how it plays out because, as you've all mentioned, this is going to be a really fun and interesting stock that's. Um, it's going to be touching upon the market in some interesting ways with a lot of eyes on housing and on interest rates. So thanks so much for the interesting discussion and thanks so much for joining. Thank you.